kingship in general historical terms precipitates the separation of the king from his people, his existential exclusiveness. However, in Judaism, malchut means integration of the individual in the community and existential all-inclusiveness and openness. The king opens himself up to everyone and embraces the entire nation. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 101, Lincoln's Rubber Room and Solomon's Throne Room. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. We begin today with two very different and fascinating works of art about the very same scene. First, a popular print by Courier and Ives, created soon after Lincoln's death, depicting the president's family and American dignitaries at the moment of Lincoln's passing. This scene is in many ways unfounded in reality. Mary Lincoln was not actually present when her husband died, nor was the vice president, Andrew Johnson, actually there. But what is realistic is the size of the room the depiction of Peterson's boarding house near Ford's Theater, where Lincoln's last moments were spent. But then, in our next work of art, we have the famous creation of Alonzo Chapel, depicting Lincoln's death. Here we see an enormous room with some 40 people present. What is going on here? This is what my good friend, the distinguished historian Harold Holzer, has referred to as the rubber room phenomenon, in which the greatness of Lincoln looms so large that everyone somehow needed to be remembered as being in the room with him. And thus the incredibly confined space in which Lincoln breathed his last continued to expand in the popular imagination beyond its physical limits, encompassing more and more Americans. As history, the painting is preposterous, but there is nevertheless a striking aspect of it to appreciate. The rubber room tells us, I think, something about leadership, that it involves an expansion and an inclusion. For true leaders in the Torah, It is not their rooms, really, that need to be rubber, but rather they themselves who must expand their hearts in an extraordinary embrace of those they lead. And that is hinted to us in the often missed, most important point of a famous story at the beginning of the Book of Kings. Before his death, David commands his son Solomon to remember what is most important. Chapter 2. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the Torah of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and where thou turnest thyself. But David also advises his son in matters more political. He tells Solomon to engineer a way in which Shimi ben Gera, who had cursed and stoned David as David fled from Avshalom, could be removed from the picture. David also tells Solomon to punish Yoav for the general's previous disobedience, for the killing of Avner and Amasa. David dies, and Solomon follows his father's guidance to the letter, beginning his reign with a variety of violent measures. He engineers a way in which Shimei will disobey a royal edict, and then he orders Shimei's execution. Yoav is killed as well. When Adoniyahu, the former claimant to the throne, requests to marry the woman Avishakashunamit, who administered to the king, Solomon takes that as a sign that Adoniyahu still has a design on the kingship, and he orders Adoniyahu's execution as well. It is clear that these actions made Solomon realize the challenges of statecraft, and this is revealed in one of the most famous requests in the entire Bible, chapter 3, verse 5. In Givon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast shown great faithful love to thy servant David my father, 
according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept him for this great faithful love, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? We must understand why Solomon's request is so incredibly important. The kings in the ancient world were usually cut off from all except the very few. For example, Esther describes how even the queen was not able to enter the throne room of the king without an appointment. And commoners were essentially asked, to worship the king. But here Solomon says to the Almighty that he seeks to understand every one of his subjects, to be able to guide and judge them. In other words, Solomon seeks to serve those that he has been chosen to lead. This teaches us that a king is defined in Judaism not by the ceremonial palace and guard that might set him apart from the people, but the very opposite. For Judaism writes by Joseph Soloveitchik, quote, An open existence is a royal existence. The king resides in the midst of the people. He is always close to his subjects and accessible to them. Everybody and everyone may approach the king, widow, orphan, woodchopper, water drawer, vagabond, stranger, old-timer, sinner, or thief. Each may complain to him, demand justice, and ask for help. End quote. Sorabai writes, But how many political leaders actually do this? You know, I watched several years ago Steven Spielberg's wonderful film Lincoln about the president's fight for the passage of the 13th Amendment. And one of the most striking things is that you saw how different the White House was then, and that anybody could walk in and complain or quetch or plead with the president with his personal problem. In one scene in the film, when the president's son returns home from Harvard, the son, Robert, enters the White House and heads to his father's office. It was on the second floor. There was no Oval Office then. And Robert Lincoln passes a long line of people waiting to meet Lincoln to ask the president this or that. Regular people, breaking their personal problems with no focus on affairs of state necessarily. This scene in Spielberg's film was absolutely accurate. For Lincoln himself once put it this way, quote, For myself, I feel, though the tax on my time is heavy, that no hours of my day are better employed than those which thus bring me again within the direct contact and atmosphere of the average of our whole people. Men moving only in an official circle are apt to become merely official, not to say arbitrary, in their ideas, and are apter and apter with each passing day to forget that they only hold power in a representative capacity. Now, this is all wrong. I go into these promiscuous receptions of all who claim to have business with me twice each week, and every applicant for audience has to take his turn, as if waiting to be shaved in a barber shop. Many of the matters brought to my notice are utterly frivolous, but others are of more or less importance, and all serve to renew in me a clearer and more vivid image of that great popular assemblage out of which I sprung, and to which at the end of two years I must return. I tell you that I call these receptions my public opinion baths, for I have but little time to read the papers and gather public opinions that way. And though they may not be pleasant in all their particulars, the effect as a whole in renovating and invigorating to my perceptions of responsibility and duty. End quote. This was Lincoln. Long before he died, his office and his heart was, as it were, made of rubber. They included so many. And this, Rabbi Soloveitchik said, is what is demanded of the Jewish king. 
Therefore, God is so pleased by Solomon's request that he bestows what Solomon has requested and much more. Verse 12. Behold, I have performed as thou hast spoken. I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there has been none like thee before thee, nor after thee shall any arise like thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like thee all thy days. Now, ladies and gentlemen, some of you might ask, I understand that Lincoln, leader of a democracy, felt moved to expand his very self to include all the people. But a king? Is not a king defined by a separation from his people? What follows in the Bible immediately cures us of this misconception. With Solomon's wish granted, his wisdom is now proven in the story of two mothers that come before him, arguing over a baby. Each claims to be the mother of the child. Now, this story is very famous. Everyone knows what happens next. Solomon orders the child cut in half, and the woman who protests and asks that the child be saved and given to the other mother, that woman who wishes to save the child, is the true mother. Verse 27. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child and do not slay it. She is its mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king has judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him. This story is often referred to as the tale of the two mothers, but what few focus on is who these mothers were. And we are told this earlier in verse 16. Then came two women that were prostitutes to the king and stood before him. These, in other words, were members of Israel that were on the outskirts of society, and yet they seem to have been welcomed to come into the palace and demand that the king hear their complaints, resolve their problems, adjudicate their issues. This aspect of the story is so striking and we so easily miss it. But Rabbi Soloveitchik points this out as entirely indicative of what it means to be royal in Judaism, of what malchut, kingship, is for the Bible. He writes, quote, Kingship, in general historical terms, precipitates the separation of the king from his people, his existential exclusiveness. However, in Judaism, malchut means integration of the individual in the community and existential all-inclusiveness and openness. The king opens himself up to everyone and embraces the entire nation without excluding anybody, end quote. Rabbi Soloveitchik cites Maimonides' description of the king's heart, Melech libo lev kol ha'am, the king's heart is the heart of all the people. And Rabbi Soloveitchik further comments that, quote, Malchut requires of man not only to be aware of the existence of others, but also to feel, to experience their existence as if it were his own, end quote. Solomon's throne room has become the rubber room, open to all Israel. The art depicting the expanding room at Lincoln's death is appropriate because Lincoln's openness to so many was part and parcel of his greatness. Perhaps most memorably of all, Lincoln opened himself and the White House to one of the greatest of Americans, one who at that time many others would have spurned. This great American was Frederick Douglass, who described his coming in 1865 to Lincoln's inaugural ball to tell the president how impressive the second inaugural address had been. Douglas recalled as follows, quote, I attended the reception of President Lincoln on the evening of the inauguration. As I approached the door, I was seized by two policemen and forbidden to enter. I said to them that they were mistaken entirely in what they were doing, that if Mr. Lincoln knew that I was at the door, he would order my admission, and I bolted in by them. On the inside, I was taken charge of by two other policemen 
to be conducted, as I supposed, to the president, but instead they were conducting me out the window on a plank. Oh, said I, this will not do, gentlemen. And as the gentleman was passing in, I said to him, just say to Mr. Lincoln that Fred Douglas is at the door. He rushed into President Lincoln and almost in less than half a minute, I was invited into the East Room of the White House. A perfect sea of beauty and elegance too it was. The ladies were in very fine attire, and Mrs. Lincoln was standing there. I could not have been more than ten feet from him. When Mr. Lincoln saw me, his countenance lighted up, and he said in a voice which was heard all around, Here comes my friend Douglas. As I approached him, he reached out his hand, gave me a cordial shake, and said, Douglas, I saw you in the crowd today listening to my inaugural address. There is no man's opinion that I value more than yours. What do you think of it? I said, Mr. Lincoln, I cannot stop here to talk with you, as there are thousands waiting to shake you by the hand. But he said again, What did you think of it? I said, Mr. Lincoln, it was a sacred effort, and then I walked off. I am glad you liked it, he said. That was the last time I saw him to speak with him. End quote. Give your servant a wise and understanding heart. This is Solomon's request. And when leaders have this gift, it is for the countries that are led by those leaders. Truly, a gift of God. This is Mayor Soloveitchik looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.